she was never afraid to chase a story. She was really the embodiment of a fearless reporter. It's also important to ponder the ways her career both challenged and conformed to norms and expectations of women journalists at the, the turn of the 20th century. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. I'm Terry Finneman, and I research media coverage of women in politics. And I'm Nick Hershon, and I research the history of New York sports. And I'm Ken Ward, and I research the journalism history of the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains. And together, we're professional media historians guiding you through our own drafts of history. Transcripts of the show are available online at journalism-history.org podcast. One of the best parts of journalism history research is its constant rediscovery of enterprising, innovative journalists who were lost to time. One such journalist is Sadie Neller Miller, who was a woman sports reporter in the late 1800s, itself a rarity, before rising to national prominence as a photojournalist and writer for Leslie's Magazine. Hers is a complicated story, one that exposes the conflict some women journalists experienced in that era as they attempted to make room for themselves in male-dominated professional spaces by using their gender, the very trait that pushed them out. Joining me to tell this story is Carolina Veloso, a doctoral student at the University of Maryland. Veloso's work on Sadie Neller Miller won her the 2020 Diversity and Journalism History Research Award from AEJMC's History Division. All right, Carolina, welcome to the show. So first of all, Sadie Neller-Miller, why did you choose to study her? Why should the rest of us be interested in her? And, and why do you think that she's been overlooked uh, uh, in earlier hist uh, historical research? Hello. Well, first, uh, I would like to say just uh, what a pleasure it is to be on the podcast. And thank you so much for having me on. Of course. <laughs> I decided to study, study Sadie because I was doing some work for my master's thesis on early women sports journalists, and I kept seeing her name pop up in uh, anthologies about really early uh, uh, women sports journalists, and there isn't a lot about about women who 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 did sports journalism before 1920, and so uh, I and I had never heard of her. But I went looking and I couldn't find anything that had been written about her in a scholarly manner outside of these one sentence mentions in these books. And I discovered that she was an alumni of a college about 50 miles north of where I live in Westminster, Maryland, which is her hometown. And an English professor there had started researching her and had compiled all of her written material and unfortunately passed away before he had time to really write the, the research on her that he, he wanted to. And so I went up there to look at this collection and I discovered that she was so much more than just a sports journalist. She, that was actually the very beginning of her career, but for the, the, the 20 years of, of her career that, that were really her most important she was a photojournalist and a national and international correspondent for Leslie's Illustrated Weekly, which was one of the most popular and widely circulated uh, periodicals of the time. And she left such an extensive written record. I mean, hundreds of articles, hundreds of photographs. And so I was just hooked. 
and I knew I had to finish the work that this professor had started. And uh, sure. I was really excited to write this paper. Um, and and it, she is really important to study, not just because of the, the extensive record that she left of journalism, but she also recorded so many important moments in history all over the world, which I can get into later. But she photographed, you know, the construction of the Panama Canal. She took the last known photo of Susan B. Anthony. Um, she photographed Serbian concentration camps in the lead up to World War One. I. I mean, she just uh, left uh, so much rich material for for us to study uh, today. Sure. So so help us help us understand yeah. how she got there. Like like walk us through. Uh, give give us a, a little hint of where her life started, and then help us through that career. Where did she work, and yeah. and what sort of work was she doing? Sure. Well, I'll try to I'll try to give her her, her life and career overview as as best I can. So in 1867, she was born in Westminster, Maryland, as Sadie Neller. And uh, Westminster, uh, as I said, is is in northern Maryland, uh, about 50 miles north of D.C. Uh, she grew up there and went to Western Maryland College, which is now McDaniel College. And that's when she really got her start in journalism. She started to contribute articles to her local paper, the Westminster Democratic Advocate. And she started writing about a subject that was a, a particular passion of hers, which was baseball. And she ended up marrying the second baseman of the, the local team she covered, Charles Robert <laughs> Miller, yeah, who was also a student at Western Maryland College. So they got married and they moved to Baltimore. And that's when she got sort of her first real journalism job. She began covering the Baltimore Orioles, which is the city's professional baseball team for the Baltimore Telegram. And she did that for three years between 1894 and 1897. And it, the story goes that she, she wrote under the byline SKM purportedly to, to disguise her gender and supposedly towards the end of her uh, time uh, at the Telegram, her identity was revealed and the, the readers found out that their favorite local baseball reporter was in fact a woman. Um, so she was uh, probably one of the first women to ever have a, a so-called beat, a sports beat, which is when you, you know, cover one particular team for the most part. Sure. And so she already, that's already started her career kind of as a trailblazer. And then it was also during um, her time at the Telegram that she took a photojournalism because she thought that if she took photos to go along with her stories that, that it would make the, the stories uh, more appealing. Um, and so that's, that's how she, she picked up a camera. And in 1898, so a year after that, she photographed three soldiers that had been captured in Cuba. This was during the Spanish-American War. And they were being brought back to the uh, Naval Academy in Annapolis. And so she took a picture of these three soldiers uh, coming into port and she sent them to Leslie's Illustrated Weekly. And then Leslie's decided to publish the photographs and that's really how that relationship started. And so they brought her on uh, to the Leslie staff in 1900 as a reporter and as a photojournalist. And that's where she spent the next 18 years of her career 
first as a national correspondent uh, with Leslie's and then as an international correspondent. And it wouldn't be hyperbole to say that she literally visited every corner of the, the U.S. She did tours of Hawaii, Alaska, you know, the Rocky Mountains, the Pacific Northwest, Texas in the Southwest, uh, Florida, her native mid-Atlantic, the Northeast. I mean, she really covered it all and got some fantastic stories along the way. And then as an international correspondent, she reported from, uh, she went several times to Cuba to report on, on what life was like there. Uh, she took pictures of the construction of the Panama Canal, which uh, garnered a full page spread in Leslie's when, when they published it. She was on the Spanish-Moroccan firing line uh, when uh, the Spaniards were having a conflict with the, the native Riffian tribes there uh, in the lead up to World War I. And then she also had probably two of her greatest achievements during uh, her time as an international correspondent in 1912. She was detained on a small German island in the North Sea under suspicion of being an English spy. And she was released when she said she was proudly American and not English and promised, <laughs> not, yeah, and promised not to take any more photographs but of the uh, um, a naval base that the Germans had there. But And although she wasn't able to keep photographing the base, she did manage to sneak some pictures of the, the main island's harbor, uh, which were then published with her story. And then in 1914, she interviewed the Mexican revolutionary uh, Pancho Villa uh, in Mexico during the height of the Mexican revolution. And she took portraits of him and his wife to go with the story. So that was probably her most successful and uh, popular uh, story. So she really just had an extraordinary uh, career. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there, I have lots of questions about her because she seems like a really interesting character. Before, before we dive into a little bit more about her, I have more of a sort of a, a, a research-oriented question for you. Um, in, in reading through your research, um, it, it looks like you found an archive, like you said, that there had been this earlier researcher who had done some of the legwork for you and, and collecting some materials, which I know in my own research is always really exciting, right? Because it, there's, there's sort of a, a treasure chest waiting for you to, to open it. So were there any surprises that you found when you dug into that research? Or, um, you know, was there anything that, that particularly caught your eye as you started learning more about who, who Miller was? Oh, my gosh. Um, I was just surprised. First, at just the volume of it. I never expected to find so many articles. I had some idea that, that she had written for Leslie's, um, but I, I just didn't know that, that she was... Uh, turning in literally dozens of of articles uh, a year. I mean, it, it was the just the massive volume. I think of of the of, of the journalism she left behind was was probably my biggest surprise. Um, I was also just really surprised at at the variety of of uh, different types of stories that she wrote. She did, you know more human interests in, in travel pieces and perhaps those were supposed to be catered more to towards the women audience uh, of the magazine but she also wrote some really hard-hitting uh, pieces on especially when she interviewed these prominent figures such as Pancho Villa and, and she really 
she was very uh, intrepid and didn't shy away from from asking tough questions and and I think her her versatility really was was really shocking to me. Sure. Well, so one of the, the I think very interesting things about about her deals with both her status as a, a trailblazer for women in journalism, but also her complicated relationship with like the women's suffrage movement and feminism more broadly. So can you can you talk a little bit about that? Like where where did that conflict lie? And, and how did it impact sort of her standing, you know, or, or the way that we should look at her uh, as historians? Right. I think, you know, Miller w- had definitely had a complicated relationship with the suffrage movement, which the crux of which coincided with the, the height of her own career, right? She, she was quite wary of it. She said in interviews that she thought that if women obtained the rights that they were asking for, that it would make her job as a reporter harder because she thought that men's chivalrous impulses to, to help her out would disappear. Hmm. And so she, she was afraid that any, any gains attained as part of the suffrage movement would, would uh, limit actually her, her access to some of the, sources that she cultivated and to some of the privileges that she had learned to gain on account of her gender. And in many ways, she also didn't embody some of the characteristics of the quote-unquote new woman that was growing out of the suffrage movement. She, for the entirety of her career at Leslie, she wrote under the byline, Mrs. Charles R. Miller or Mrs. C. R. Miller, so so never with her uh, given name. She traveled on assignment often by herself. Her husband did go with her frequently, but she also traveled uh, alone frequently. And when she did, she would plan her husband's meals out in advance when she was away. So for the household staff to know exactly what to feed him uh, when she was gone. So she also really enjoyed that domestic aspect. And she saw it sometimes as incompatible with the suffrage movement. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So her rise and, and, and her career, right, her upward trajectory, as you noted, seems to coincide with the rise in photojournalism in particular. Um, and her adoption of photojournalism early in her career really seems to propel her forward. So how important was, was her, her adoption of this technology and embracing the sort of disruptive technology, I think. When we talk about journalism today, we often talk about disruption um, because of the technologies that have, have entered the fore in the past 20 or so years. Can we see parallels in her own career and the way that she sort of catapulted up um, to, to these high-profile magazines? Yeah, I, I think there there can be a case to say that photojournalism was not only really important, but perhaps vital to the trajectory of her career because you know, she was a, a fine writer when she was writing for for the Telegram when she was writing baseball stories for them. But taking pictures to go along with the articles is really what made her stand out. And it's quite literally what led to her job at Leslie's. If, if she hadn't sent in those photos uh, in 1898 to Leslie's, who knows if she would have ever um, gotten that job or any other journalism job that would have come with the the prominence of being 
uh, a staff writer for, for Leslie. So I think photojournalism really gave her a unique um, skill set that to go along with her reporting that, that, that probably, you know, helped her career out immensely. And, and she did catch it just as it was emerging. I think, um, you know, Jesse Tarbox Beals was also coming up right around this time. Um, so it was definitely, I, I would say definitely crucial to her career. Sure. One of the other complicated things uh, in, in relation to, to her and her, her sort of status as a trailblazer is the way that she sometimes referred to other popular, uh, you know, other groups in her writing. Um, because as she's traveling around the United States, a lot of what, she, if, if I understood correctly, a lot of what she's writing on is like indigenous populations. She's going to um, events related to some of uh, what these indigenous Americans are doing. So her tone sounded a little complicated. And can you share a little bit about how she tended to refer to those marginalized populations and how that might change the way that we, we, we consider her work in the broader scope of journalism history? Right, yeah. You definitely can't ignore some of the language that she uses in her articles to deal with um, not only Native American tribes in the U.S., but also populations uh, outside um, of the U.S. that in, in countries that the U.S. had some sort of um, uh, relationship to. So she, she definitely used, you know, imperialistic or, you know, colonial language and expressed those opinions um she when she wrote about uh native americans which she did uh, a few times in hawaii and also in, in the western united states she characterized their traditions as spectacles sometimes um she called them savages and, and clowns and that does complicate i guess the way we 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 look at her because um she did participate in the the perpetuation of the 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 stereotyping and the the hostility towards the indigenous that was particularly pronounced in the early 20th century sure T turning back to her gender um so how did she how did she use her gender to her advantage as as you noted you know she she clearly saw it as advantageous to her to be a woman in, in certain situations so uh, expand on that a little bit how did she use her gender to her advantage as a journalist well she often said in interviews that she was able to um, obtain special access to certain people or events on account of her gender uh, that a lot of times, uh, men saw her as non-threatening and so that they would allow her to um, see something or enter somewhere um, and and that would allow her to, to get uh, the stories that she wanted. She really uh, counted on being just uh, underestimated um, to get to get her stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how did others use her gender then? If, if she saw mm -hmm. it as something that she could use at times to her advantage, I get the sense that others, especially the editors above her, sometimes tried to use her gender to their advantage as well. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, Leslie certain, certainly did, right? When she, when she had obtained a, a certain degree of prominence, they uh, began prefacing her stories with editor's notes that advertised her as a, a woman correspondent or a, a woman war correspondent. 
So they definitely began to use her gender as uh, almost like a, a selling point for the magazine. So she herself kind of became uh, a novelty figure um, on account of her gender. Hmm. Hmm. So what can we take away from her career? And I'm thinking both as historians, but also just as, as people, right, who are, who are interested in, in how her career progressed and how her life progressed. What can we take away from this life and career of Sadie Neller Miller? Well, I think what I took away for the most part was how intrepid and adventurous she was, right? She was never afraid to chase a story. She was really the embodiment of a fearless reporter. And she left such a, an extensive written and pictorial record for us. So we can we could learn so much from from, you know, how she th- the way she thought and and how the world as she saw it uh, in the first two decades of the 20th century from from analyzing these articles. Um, and and like we talked about, it's it, it's also important to ponder the ways her career both challenged and conformed to norms and expectations of women journalists at the the turn of the 20th century and especially with the 100th anniversary anniversary of the ratification of the 19th amendment this year it's important to think about the place of women journalists in the canon of american history right do they need more room and and also i think we should all you know both media historians and and the general public we should all think about how to continue recovering the voices of of women journalists whose careers have been been lost to posterity absolutely excellent one last question for you Mm -hmm. and this is a question that we ask all of our guests um why does journalism history matter wow well i you know i think journalism history is absolutely crucial because journalism really is the first written record of the past right you learning about the past tells you not only you know who a society or country of people were but but who we are now and and how we got here and understanding the the context of what happened in the past offers so much insight into where we are now and and so journalism history is particularly important because journalists are often the first to document what is happening at any moment in time and and looking back on what was written it gives us a chance to to reflect upon what was important to us at, at that point in time. So, you know, what did we write down and what didn't we write down? And so, you know, that's why I think journalism history is just absolutely critical. It's it's the the material manifestation of, of our collective history and our values. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Carolina. I appreciate thank you being you. on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Journalism History Podcast. If you like our podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on the podcasts app or wherever you listen to us. Until next time, I'm your host, Ken Ward, signing off with the words of Edward R. Murrow. Good night and good luck. Thank you.